Welcome to the Not Old Better Show, Smithsonian Associates interview series. I'm Paul Vogelzang, and this is episode number 346. As part of our Smithsonian Associates series, we are joined today by author John Farrell. John Farrell will be appearing at the Smithsonian Associates May 8, 2019, and his presentation is entitled Richard Nixon, An Inevitable Fall. John Farrell's new book, Richard Nixon, The Life, is a biography of our most controversial president. John Farrell, the book, Richard Nixon, The Life, was a finalist in the Pulitzer Prize biography category in 2018. Was Richard Nixon an idealistic dreamer seeking to build a better world? Arguably, yes, in his early years in politics, but then things changed. Our guest today, author, biographer, John Farrell, discusses with us Nixon's personal and political journey from naval lieutenant to disgraced president, telling a story of Nixon, who was a very complicated, intelligent man. Dick and Pat made their way out to the South Lawn, walked down a long red carpet, shook hands with a funereal vice president, and climbed the steps of the presidential helicopter, Army One. At the last, Nixon turned and grimacing, gave one sweeping defensive wave, as if to ward off unquenchable grief. Then he thrust his arms skyward, flashing the trademark V's for victory, turned and entered the helicopter. Army One lifted from the lawn, rose above the muggy capital, the National Mall dimmed in a summer morning's haze. Below, L'Enfant's grand boulevards and Brumidi's halls and corridors pulsed with visionaries, parvenus and hustlers, with dreams and scheming, with avarice, ambition, rivalry, and purpose. The chopper soared over statues of heroes and monuments to great statesmen, whose ranks, with such American audacity, the awkward grocer's boy had presumed to join, had come so near, only to fall. It's so sad, Pat said, to no one in particular. They spent the flight to California alone, each in his or her cabin on Air Force One. The president had a cocktail. At noon, when they were somewhere over Missouri, the resignation took effect. That, of course, is our guest today, award-winning, best-selling author, John Farrell. You can see John Farrell at the Smithsonian Associates program presenting Richard Nixon, An Inevitable Fall, May 8, 2019. Please join me in welcoming to the Not Old Better Show via internet phone, author, biographer, John Farrell. John Farrell, welcome to the program. I am delighted uh, to be here. I have to say I'm delighted to talk to you too. This book, your new book about Nixon, we'll talk about that. But let's talk a little bit about your upcoming Smithsonian Associates presentation. Tell us briefly about that. Uh, It's an honor, of course, to be invited into um, the Smithsonian uh, to talk. And I know, having been a member of the Smithsonian Associates myself, that uh, this is a, a very sharp audience, uh, and I'm, uh, I wouldn't say intimidated, but I, uh, I'm looking forward to the question and answer period after my talk. Uh, uh, these, these audiences are uh, people who know their Washington history very well, and when you have somebody like uh, Nixon, who's um, so known to us and yet so not known to us at the same time, um, it should be a, a good evening with uh, lots of uh, spirited you know, give and take 
um, after I'm finished doing my yakking. <laughs> well, thank you. We're looking forward to that. And I think the Q&A will be spirited and lively. And the title of the presentation is An Inevitable Fall. So before talking about the fall, let's talk about Nixon's rise in politics, because this was a man on a mission and he rose quickly. So maybe walk us through some of Nixon's political journey early. Sure. The thing about Nixon, uh, as I re- referred to just before, is that uh, this is he's a caricature, and we know him f- as Tricky Dick. We know him uh, with the flashing the V sign and the um, uh, the deep guttural voice uh, from a thousand comedians over the years. Mm-hmm. Younger folks know him as a villain on the uh, uh, on the Simpsons uh, and other uh, cartoon shows. There's a uh, there's a reason when Hollywood um, wants a cheap laugh in a bank heist movie that all the crooks put on Richard Nixon masks. Uh, because we're almost sort of programmed by our by our history and our culture to uh, to sort of chuckle at, at that. But beyond that caricature, I found um, was a very interesting and in many ways uh, sympathetic human being. And uh, his his uh, upbringing was almost Dickensian. He was born uh, out in the, uh, um, uh, the the flats of uh, almost the wilderness of in pioneer days in Southern California. Um, his father uh, tried to make a go of it as a uh, lemon farmer um, on what had been raw prairie before um, he got there and uh, and failed which says something about his dad, that he could fail at raising citrus in one of the uh, world's great uh, citrus belts, but, but he did. His father was a very crotchety, um, disappointed, uh, bitter man. Um, his mother was, uh, as he described her, uh, a saint, a Quaker saint, um, and she was very religious and would retreat actually into a closet um, to pray. And uh, as Nixon famously said, uh, my mother never once told me that she loved me. That just wasn't our way in our our family. And he had two brothers who died in childhood, one uh, from uh, a meningitis uh, attack. Uh, The younger brother, his name was Arthur. He had golden curls and was the baby in the family. And Nixon was very, uh, Richard Nixon was very devoted to him. And Arthur died all in, in the space of a week. And then uh, Dick's older uh, brother, Harold, uh, contracted uh, tuberculosis. And that was a long, stretched-out affair that drained the family's finances and later cost Nixon his opportunity to go east to a major Eastern Ivy League education, uh, Ivy League school like uh, Harvard or or Yale for his um, uh, uh, education. And so... All these things sort of come together and, and give um, young Dick a sort of a chip on his shoulder. He does escape and go to Duke Law School, and then he has a very successful career uh, in the Navy in World War II, um, serving in the Solomon Islands, the same place where, oh, Jack Kennedy, Joe McCarthy, Ben Bradley, many people that he was to come across later in his career, all served in that campaign, um, came back, and uh, was still in uniform a few weeks after uh, VJ Day when he gets this letter from some of the old Republican hands back in Orange County, in Los Angeles County in California, saying, we'd like you to run 
for Congress. Uh, we think it's a gen- it's a year where a younger gener a guy from the younger generation from the from the military generation can perhaps upset this um, uh, incumbent congressman, this Democratic uh, liberal named Jerry Voorhis, and uh, we think you're the guy that can do it. And so, out of literally almost out of nowhere, um, led by a uh, um, uh, the dad of a friend of his from college, this group reaches out to Nixon, and Nixon. Uh, goes back, and he wins election in 1946. It was a Republican year. He certainly didn't do it all by himself, but uh, he knew absolutely nobody. He was unknown by the Republican governor of California. He was not known by the the Central Committee. He was not known by the U.S. senators. He was a complete nobody, did it all by himself, and uh, within two years has made a name of himself in Washington, uh, chasing down and exposing a Soviet spy. And in six years, he's um, running for uh, vice president of the United States with Dwight Eisenhower, with a stop in, uh, a very short stop in the Senate in between. So his, his rise is meteoric, and uh, much of the tragedy that comes from him comes, I think, I say in the book, from the fact that he, 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 he went so far so fast um, that and he was carried along only by his own instincts and um, and wiles. Uh, that uh, he was, I think, he was unprepared for what he found when he got to Washington, and what he found in that fierce partisan atmosphere, the Cold War years, the McCarthy era, um, was that it was a really tough game. And Nixon, who has always had this sort of inferiority complex. Um, was very, very uh, damaged by the brutality of the game, both on, from the Democrats and from within the Republican Party. And it turned him into a... Um, uh, he, he had always been, as, as he famously wrote in a letter to uh, to his niece when she was born, um, uh, this is your Uncle Dick, the sourpuss brother. <laughs> so he had always had this sort of um, uh, Eeyore-type uh, personality, but... <laughs> By the time he got through this first few years as Eisenhower's vice president, he had sort of been, his personality had been cast. He was very suspicious and wary. And then he finally finishes as Ike's vice president, runs for president against his good friend, John F. Kennedy, um, and loses and becomes convinced that the election was stolen from him. And that is the climax of the um, the turn to the dark side, if we want to use the old Star Wars uh, uh, terminology. Um, and he becomes this bitter um, uh, person, and um, he rises above it in the great comeback, perhaps the greatest political comeback ever when he comes back and he wins in, in 1968. Um, but it, it gnaws at him. Um, and somewhere along the line, I picked up the, the idea that this was that Nixon was Iago to his own Othello. Mm-hmm. He was constantly whispering in his own ear, you're no good, they're against you, um, they're the enemy. And this sort of combination of bitterness and paranoia and grievance, um, when mixed with a person who has a sort of feelings of insecurity, um, was very, very potent. And in the crucible of the presidency, uh, he, he crumbled. You write that he was a little idealistic, too. And so with all of this, 
just the various character flaws of Nixon. Is the fall then inevitable for someone like this? Yes, I think it. Uh, it, it as a, as you go through the, as a, as a as a researcher, when you go through the different libraries and you paw through people's papers, one thing you're struck at is in 1973 and 1974, is how much people like Henry Kissinger and Elliot Richardson are are talking to each other, or writing in their diaries, or writing in letters to each other, uh, that this is truly a Shakespearean tragedy that they are witnessing. Mm. That here is a person who um, had all these gifts, uh, and his record as a president, if, if you somehow could you know, move uh, Vietnam and, and Watergate aside, was otherwise spectacular. I mean, he probably would be in the top uh, 20 of American presidents um, uh, based on creating the Environmental Protection Agency, uh, the, the, the landmark uh, outreach to China and the meeting with Mao and uh, Zhao Enlai um, in Beijing. Um, uh, so as, as you look at all the good in the man, you also have to say, well, okay, well, what was it that brought, brought about this fall, brought about this downfall? And the classic definition of, of tragedy is that uh, within this, within the hero, is a flaw, and in the worst cases, it's it, the flaw is recognized, and the hero sees his doom, and uh, yet is formed in such a way that he cannot um, struggle to overcome what he recognizes as his own flaw. Um, there's a, there's a marvelous memo I found early in the administration where Nixon writes a letter to his top aides, and he says, "I'm going to explode in anger." At times, and I'm going to issue awful, rash orders. And if you look at these and you decide that, that this is crazy, that it's not to be enforced, and you want to sit on it for a couple of days, um, I, I give you the authority to do that. Uh, as long as you come back to me later and say, we didn't do this because we thought X, X, X. And it's a horrible way for a president of the United States in, uh, in the nuclear war era to uh, run a railroad, but um, he recognized that, that he had this propensity to, to lash out, um, and it really doesn't become uh, real to him until it's, it's finally all over. And uh, that amazing uh, goodbye at the, uh, um, in the East Room at the White House, where he gathers his staff um, around him. And um, he says that, uh, always remember, others may hate you, but those who hate you don't win unless you hate them, and then you destroy yourself. And so at the last minute, as in great Shakespearean tragedy, there's this gleaming moment of self-recognition, um, even as the helicopter comes to take him away. We are with author, biographer John Farrell, his new book, Richard Nixon, The Life John Farrell will be presenting at the Smithsonian Associates, Richard Nixon, An Inevitable Fall. We really appreciate your time today. This is just a fascinating story. You referred to Watergate just a moment ago, and you referred to uh, Chow and Lai in China. Will Watergate define Nixon, or will it be something else? Will it be China or something more positive? I think in the long run, I mean, in the very long run, I think people will look back and they'll look at all the Cold War presidents. Uh, because the Cold War presidents, their virtues and their sins were very similar from Harry Truman on. They, they re overreacted to the communist threat 
in their willingness to let civil liberties uh, erode at home and to pull off uh, uh, things like uh, uh, wiretapping and uh, what were called black bag jobs. And one of the things that happened after Nixon resigned was that there was a uh, an opening of the vaults and a recognition that uh, all the presidents had gone down um, this path with assassination plots of foreign leaders. And there was a famous investigation by what was called the Church Committee after its chairman, Senator Frank Church, into all these misdeeds. So, so that's the downside, and Watergate is certainly part of that, and Vietnam is certainly part of that. The upside, I think, is that... Um, People will look back and they'll say, yes, at a time when there was this um, very uh, evil disease emanating from uh, Beijing and Moscow, um, and the danger was such that the stake of the planet was literally at hand with those nuclear arsenals, 30,000 nuclear warheads pointed at each other, um, that uh, they handled the, the, the big, as Nixon once said, I handled the big things well. Um, and uh, the, the Cold War presidents handled the big things well. Um, but they got carried away with their arrogance and their hubris, um, not just in Vietnam, but also uh, in, in what they did at home, undermining civil liberties. And it all sort of culminated in, in, in Watergate. Um, and uh, so as I think it was Senator Patrick Moynihan said, um, the last thing you want to be is the last guy to get caught. And Nixon was the last guy to get caught. I mean, other people had, had done a lot of these dirty tricks, um, many against him. And so he had this sense of grievance. But um, when, when combined with the powers of the presidency and this particular personality uh, of Nixon's, uh, it was almost inevitable that this was going to happen. Author John Farrell, final question for you. And by the way, I just want to alert our audience that uh, the book, Richard Nixon, The Life, will be available for signing and sale at the presentation of Smithsonian Associates. But uh, I'll read a quote that I found by Jane Meyer, who wrote Dark Money. And she says, uh, she's referring to you, John Farrell, he shows that dirty tricks, October surprises, and an anti-elitist resentment were among the gifts Nixon bequeathed to our own presidential politics. So given our current political climate of polarization, uh, talk about impeachment, what do we learn from Nixon? And could we learn something that might make Nixon a bit more sympathetic as a political character? I think in, in this one, I have to say no. Um, Nixon was, uh, had this great political antenna. And I say in the book that he, from his own sense of grievance brought on by these personality flaws, um, he had the ability to look out in his audiences, look out to the people that he met on the campaign trail, and identify their sense of grievance and touch it as a politician. And so, you know, you can't say it was just Nixon that began this sort of anti-elitism, um, right-wing populist movement. There were others um, in, in the 1950s who were, who were there with him. But he was the one who took it all the way to the to the presidency with his um, uh, uh, great silent majority and uh, telling them that um, all the social programs of the great society was stealing things that um, should be theirs. And so in many ways, when you look at what has happened uh, in Washington, uh, with Ronald Reagan being an exception, there was a uh, conservative campaigner who 
was always about sunshine and smiles. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, with uh, the Gingrich Revolution um, and uh, what has happened now with uh, uh, President Trump, you definitely see a, a strain in American politics of right-wing politicians um, using issues like race in Nixon's day um, and uh, culture and now immigration um, in our day to sort of whip up fear and paranoia in their audiences, a sense of grievance. And I think if you look back, um, Nixon certainly was, certainly since World War II, was the champion and the most successful at that uh, until President Trump got elected. A fascinating subject, and thank you, John Farrell, for your generous time today. We'll leave it there because we want to learn more about Richard Nixon, of course, and we'll do that when we see you at the Smithsonian Associates presentation coming up. But John Farrell, author of the book, Richard Nixon, The Life, thank you so much for your time today. My pleasure. Thanks to John Farrell for joining me today. You can see John Farrell at the Smithsonian Associates program presenting Richard Nixon, An Inevitable Fall, May 8th, 2019 at the Ripley Center in Washington, D.C. More details are available on our website. Thanks, as always, to the Smithsonian team for all they do to support the show. And thanks to you, our wonderful Not Old Better Show audience. Remember, talk about better. The Not Old Better Show. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>